0: If you wanna go ahead and grab your Bibles, if you don't have one, there'll be uh, words on the screen or there should be a Bible somewhere around you, maybe under your seats, I don't know. But, uh, but go ahead and uh, grab your Bibles and open up to Matthew chapter four. That's where we're gonna hang out this morning. And Matthew's the first book of the New Testament and it's not cheating. So look at the table of contents if you need to. So um, did that for a long time. Uh, so, uh, so if you, um, while you're turning there, um, so if you've been you know, aware of any current events at all, one of the things you probably know has happened recently is there's a couple funerals that have kind of been pretty big in our nation, right? So you have Aretha Franklin, uh, which is really big, and then you have uh, a senator, longtime senator, and former presidential candidate John McCain. And what was interesting this past uh, week, um, especially with John McCain and his passing, was that uh, it was the day after, I believe, um, that he, he had died that his spokesperson actually read a letter that John McCain had written as like his final farewell to America. And it had been about a year since he had been diagnosed with brain cancer, Uh, but it just got me thinking. He had a year to really think through, what am I going to say to this Messed up country, right? What am I going to say? My final words, my farewell. And um, I don't know about you, but me, I'm expecting my final words to probably be, I'm going to bed, something like that, right? Um, I, I'm not expecting anything really grand or, you know, uh, or just amazing to come out of my mouth. Um, but he had a year to really think through what do I want to say to the world? And Jesus himself, also had a similar kind of period of time to really consider what his final message to the world was going to be. Um, Jesus had, at this point, he had died. He had risen from the grave and he had 40 days that he walked around with his disciples and teaching and talking about things. And, uh, and, and really, he, he knew he wasn't gonna stay forever. He knew he was going to ascend into heaven, which is what happened. And he wanted to leave them with something that they would remember. Uh, I mean, think about it. If you had 40 days left to live, what would you talk about? What would you what would you do? And so Jesus, um, what he does is really astounding. So Acts chapter one, um, it tells us this. It says that Jesus, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Speaking about the kingdom of God. Of God. So the very last days of Jesus, the last times he was on earth, hanging out with his friends, his buddies, he spent his time talking about the kingdom of God, which is really interesting because Jesus also began his ministry talking about the very same thing. So in Matthew chapter four, uh, in, in verse 17, and this is quoted in every single one of the gospels, It says, from that time, and this is when Jesus began his ministry. He hadn't done any ministry up to this point. He was about 30 years old. Jesus begins his ministry, and it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand hand. So Jesus comes on the scene and he immediately sounds like this crazy guy on the street corner, right? He comes on the scene. He starts talking about the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus says this all throughout his ministry. He, in the gospel of Matthew alone, he mentions the kingdom roughly 50 times. He's talking about it all the time. And so when you think of kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, What what typically comes to mind? I'll tell you what kind of comes to mind for me. Maybe this is what you think of, right here, right? The Crusades or this amazing movie, Kingdom of Heaven, right? So that was an easy one. So think of this, the Crusades, or maybe you think of this, right? This literal kingdom in heaven, this beautiful golden buildings in a rainbow. Some of these had you know double rainbows, which was amazing. but the kingdom of heaven, and maybe you think of this, right? Do you guys remember this? 2011, Harold Camping talking about the rapture that was going to come, right? The buildup, the anxiety, right? It's going to happen. Maybe, maybe this is what you think of when you hear kingdom of heaven. But what does Jesus mean when he's talking about? kingdom of heaven. Most of us, I would be willing to say, are pretty clueless as to what he means. I mean, I think if in church you hear someone just kind of nonchalantly talking about the kingdom, it really doesn't mean anything. It's just churchy language, right? Oh yes, the kingdom, kingdom living, kingdom life. We just kind of throw it around, right? It doesn't really mean anything. And most of the time, I'd be willing to say by and large, We don't really understand what Jesus means when he says that, right? He's talking about it over and over again and we just kind of read it like we just kind of read over it. And most of the time, that's because we really don't understand our Old Testament. We really kind of given up on a lot of the backstory behind Jesus. And we tend to think of the Old Testament as this stodgy, you know, boring history book that has some, you know, cool poetry in it and some weird prophets in it. And it's pretty, that's about it. We We don't spend a lot of time in. Uh, but this idea of the kingdom of God is really found everywhere in the Old Testament. And really from the very beginning of the Bible, we see God driving us towards this idea of the kingdom. And so just want to real briefly just kind of give you some of that background so we know what Jesus is talking about here. So we understand what Jesus is talking about over and over and over again in the beginning of his ministry, and the end of his ministry. And so in the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter one, God, what? He creates heaven and earth. And in there we read that God looked at creation and said, it's good. It is very good. I've done a great job. It's amazing. And everything was exactly as it should be. And there's this idea that runs through the very beginning that heaven, which is God's space, right? And earth, which is our space, in the very beginning, those things are united. Those things are together. Those things are one. There's not this separation between them. Instead, we see heaven and earth together, united in the Garden of Eden. And creation is really like this kingdom that God himself is ruling over and reigning over and things are just the way they should be. And in that kingdom, there's blessing, and there's peace, and there's joy, and there's this union between what's going on in God's space and what's going on in our space. But as the story continues, what do we see? Humans, they rebel against God. Really, they they pull off this treasonous act against God, and it brings chaos and brokenness to all of creation they decide for themselves what's right and wrong. They want to live lives on their own terms. And so they throw off these authority claims that God has on them, that this king has on them, and say, no, we're going to be kings and queens of our own life. We're going to decide for ourselves what we want to do. And this led to this fracturing of the universe. Things aren't anymore as God intended. Heaven and earth now have become these two separate spaces, right? God's space and our space are no longer connected. Instead, there's this brokenness and there's this curse in the world. But since that time, since the very beginning, God has made a promise. And this promise goes like this. A new kingdom is going to come and it's gonna fix everything you guys messed up. It's gonna restore what was broken. It's going to once again unite heaven and earth and this king is going to come and he's going to rule over this kingdom and the whole earth, every inch of it is going to be under his rule and his reign. There's going to be peace. There's going to be justice. There's going to be righteousness everywhere. And so all throughout the Old Testament, it's building up to this. And that's why we have all these stories about kings and leaders. And the point is this, they just don't fit the bill. They just don't meet the qualifications. They fall short. They sin. They they rule outside of God's authority. And by the end of the Old Testament, there's just longing and unfulfilled promise of there's a king that's supposed to come and we've tried it and it's just gone terribly wrong. And at the end of the Old Testament, there's no kingdom anymore. There's no king on the throne anymore. There's just this hope longing, this waiting. And so in the midst of this, Jesus begins his ministry and the first words out of his mouth are, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I mean, can you imagine how these people would have felt? I mean, their whole lives, their history, uh, the Jewish religion was whole, was wholly built around this idea of this renewed kingdom. And then Jesus, he comes on the scene. and In essence, he says, you heard about a king who is going to come. You heard this promise, someone who's going to fix what was broken and restore God's people, someone who would bring peace in all the earth. And I'm here to say that king and that kingdom is finally here. And th- I mean, can you just imagine the excitement? It's, it's easy to understand why, why crowds are flocking to him to hear what he has to say. But I have to tell you, just kind of on the outside, for them, it was, a, it was a bit of a letdown, right? So they had this idea, of this you know, this king is going to come in and, and do all this, but they look at Jesus and they see this poor blue-collar worker He's not spending his time building a rebel army, right? Instead, he spends his time, you know, rebuking a bunch of religious leaders. He spends his time hanging out with prostitutes, the homeless, lepers, right? He, he doesn't seem like this amazing king who's going, to, who's going to kick out all these evil rulers and rule over the whole world. He just doesn't seem like that. And the reason is this, for Jesus, the kingdom of heaven, it wasn't about some military conquest. It wasn't about political power. It wasn't about creating these end of the world charts or some sweet repent signs for the streets, right? That's not what Jesus is about with the kingdom of heaven. But instead, Jesus said these just like really weird things. So take, for instance, Luke 17, uh, verses 20 through 21. He says this, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of heaven is in the midst of you. Jesus is talking crazy now. I mean, what does he mean? What is he saying? He's saying, look, the kingdom of God isn't this country that you just travel to somewhere that you just go to, there's not somewhere this welcome to the kingdom of heaven sign on the side of the road. That's not, that's not it. Instead, the kingdom is in you. The kingdom is in you. It's among you. And the point is this, again, it's not about your political party gaining power. It's not about Christians ruling the Holy Land or creating some government that's devoted to God. Rather, the kingdom is about creation itself coming under the rule of this king as it was in the beginning. The kingdom of God really is like this. It's, it's like Eden was in the beginning. It's this place where heaven meets earth. It's this place where heaven meets earth. That's what the kingdom of God is. And so when Jesus talks about the kingdom, he talks about heaven breaking through onto the earth and it spreads, it's infectious. You can't stop it. Jesus comes and he brings the kingdom with him and slowly and surely this kingdom is spreading and invading every area of the globe until one day Jesus promises this kingdom will be fully established once again. But here's the catch, the past 2000 years, the kingdom, it's, it's still spreading. It's still growing. It's not done yet. And Jesus has made, established, created this community of people who are like ambassadors of the kingdom on the earth. And that's us, the church. And we are the ones who are continuing this expansion and establishment of the kingdom today, just like Jesus did. You guys tracking with me? Okay, so so here's the question for us if we're supposed to be this kingdom community, what does that look like? What does it mean to have the kingdom in our midst? And we learn what the kingdom's like by looking to Jesus, right? By looking to our king and seeing what he did, who he is. He he lived a life full of the kingdom. So in Matthew 4, we're going to hang out in verses 23 through 25, and we're going to get a glimpse of what this heaven on earth kingdom looked like. So there's four big ideas I want you to get. So first, the kingdom is where the word of heaven meets earth. The kingdom's where the word of heaven meets earth. So Matthew 4, verse 23, and he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Let's just stop right there. So the kingdom of God has this message that's to be proclaimed. And Jesus came to proclaim that message. And that message, at least in this verse that we see, is called the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. So what does that mean? So when we think of preaching the gospel, I mean, what what do you typically think of? We think of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, what Jesus did to bring us salvation and to bring us forgiveness of sins. And that's right. That's so right. And we tell others about how Jesus came and he died for us and he died for our sins and he rose again from the dead. But do you know, that's not what Jesus is proclaiming here. Jesus didn't typically go around and say, hey guys, I'm about to die for your sins and rise again. He did a few times. We have three specific times he was very clear about that with just a small group of people. But that's not typically what Jesus was out in the world proclaiming. Instead, Jesus preached the good news of the kingdom. Jesus told them the good news that he was the king that the long awaited kingdom had come and what that meant for their lives, the redemption and hope that had come. And in the same way, we're sent as heralds of the kingdom with the same message. We've been sent to proclaim this message out to the world. And yes, we must talk about the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, the way he brought salvation for us, but we can't lose the message that Jesus preached, which was the king has come. The kingdom is here. It is on earth and this king is speaking to us and we need to listen to him. We need to obey him. We need to follow him. And it's important to note at this point that this message, it's not something we just thought was a good idea. It's not something we make up, not something that we just get warm fuzzies about and say, hey, we really like this idea. This message is given to us by the king in the word. And America, especially in our culture, we're quickly becoming this biblically illiterate culture, even inside the church. We don't know the message. We don't know the message. So, uh, quoting on a, uh, talking about a Barna study, Al Mohler, he, he kind of lays it out, I think just beautifully and lays it out like this. It says multiple surveys reveal the problem in stark terms. According to 82% of Americans, God helps those who help themselves Is a Bible verse. It's not. Those identified as born-again Christians did better by 1%. A majority of adults think the Bible teaches that the most important purpose in life is taking care of one's family. Some of the statistics are enough to perplex even those aware of the problem. A Barna poll indicated that at least 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. (laughs) Another survey of graduating high school seniors revealed that over 50% thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. A considerable number of respondents to one poll indicated that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. We are in big trouble. Yes, we are. <laughs> the point is this. Is this we, we just don't know our Bibles, and we just don't know the message of this king. And that's not to shame anyone. That's not to say shame on you we need to do the work to try to understand what this king is telling us so we can follow him, so we can know him. So if we're going to be a kingdom focused church that actively seeks to see the kingdom here on earth, we have to know and proclaim the message of the king. And when the word of heaven collides with the earth, then the kingdom is here. The kingdom has come. And so The kingdom is where the word of heaven meets earth. Secondly, the kingdom is where the power of heaven meets earth. The kingdom is where the power of heaven meets earth. So let's start again, verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics and he healed them. It's impossible to separate the coming of the kingdom from the work of the spirit. As we've seen, the kingdom of God is is established when heaven breaks through to earth and there's almost nowhere we can see that most clearly in Jesus' ministry than when he brought restoration and redemption and blessing through various healings and miracles. When Jesus saw things that were not right, that were not as God had originally intended, by the power of the spirit, he sought to make it right. He didn't say, well, one day you 'll be in a better place, or i 'll pray for you at home, which means i won 't, or he didn't say, "Well, you know what we just need to we just need to focus on the gospel right now, not get sidetracked by that stuff no no Jesus he healed sicknesses, he delivered people from demonic oppression, he rescued others from the power of sin and addiction. In his ministry, Jesus demonstrated the power of the kingdom to heal every affliction and disease. Later on in Matthew, we read very similar words that we read here in Matthew chapter 9. And Jesus says this there. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. That sounds familiar. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus performed his miracles and his healings, it wasn't him showing off. Jesus was driven by deep compassion for people. When he sees your affliction, your sickness, your oppression, Jesus is moved. He's moved with compassion. When he sees you lost in your sin and without any hope, Jesus has profound compassion for you and he longs for you to enter into his kingdom and his wholeness. He wants to redeem everything in your life. And he has the authority and the power to redeem everything that is broken. So where do you need the power of heaven to meet you today? Is there sickness? Is there brokenness? Is there sin? Is there addiction? Jesus came to redeem. He came to redeem. And part of that redemption is breaking through to earth today. So the church should be a place where the power of the spirit is living and active. Jesus said he has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he has deep compassion for the sick and the afflicted, and we should have the same. And he wants to bring the kingdom to earth. So if we're going to see the kingdom established, be this kingdom-focused church in the city, we must be people of the spirit. We must be people of spirit. We must be people who believe the spirit can actually heal, can actually break those chains, can actually redeem, because he can. The same Jesus who is doing these miracles is alive today, and he's still doing these things through the church, through us, through the spirit. So the kingdom is where the power of heaven meets earth. Thirdly, The kingdom is where the ethos of heaven meets earth. So Matthew 4, verse 25. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And then chapter five, keep going. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him And he opened his mouth and taught them. So flowing out of this passage on the kingdom. So I don't know if you know this, but the chapter breaks. God didn't put those in there. We put those in there to kind of help us out. So, but flowing from this passage, it goes straight into Jesus' most famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount. It says all these crowds were coming because he's preaching the kingdom and he's healing people. It says, Jesus seeing the crowds, he went up onto the mountain and he taught them. And when you think about it in this context, you realize what Jesus is doing is he's framing up what life in the kingdom looks like. He's telling us that this is the ethos, the ethics, the lifestyle, the principles, the values of the kingdom. And so in this sermon, that's, we're not going to read because it's really long, but in this sermon, Jesus talks about money and suffering and anger, and sex, and divorce, and retaliation, and generosity, and prayer, fasting, forgiveness, anxiety, hypocrisy, among other things. Why? Jesus is telling us that life in the kingdom encompasses every area of your life. There's no compartment in your life that's untouched by the king. He's making demands on your checkbook. He's making demands on your sex life. He's making demands on how you eat, how you pray, how you talk. Every area of your life, Jesus demands allegiance in your bodies, in your hearts, in your hands, your political views, your religious practices, your marriages. How we live matters to the King. It matters. And this ethos is not just about our morality, right? It's not just about our morality, but it's also how we love one another in this room and how we love one another outside of this room. It's also about how we work towards justice in this city. Where we see oppression and injustice, the ethos of the kingdom demands that we work towards righteousness and justice. Everywhere we go and everything we do, we should seek for the kingdom to come. We should seek for the kingdom to come. The kingdom's not just about these spiritual, ethereal good feelings of I'm forgiven now, I feel great. But it also has real Physical, real world practicalities. It matters for our world. And when we see injustice, when we see oppression, when we see racism, when we see economic injustice, when we see the unborn who don't have a voice, we are the ones who step in and say that is not what happens in the kingdom. And we're going to work to see the kingdom come on earth. And so, we have to be a people marked by the works and the ethics and the justice of the kingdom. And when that happens, kingdom is, the kingdom is breaking through interments. So lastly, the kingdom is where the people of earth meet the king of heaven. The kingdom is where the people of earth meet the king, king of heaven. So notice the results of this kingdom li- living of Jesus. Let's start again in verse, in verse 24 and notice what happened. So he's preaching and teaching and healing. So, so his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains and oppressed by demons epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. What happened? Everyone is running to Jesus. They're flocking to Jesus. They couldn't help themselves. We see the outcasts. we see the needy, we see the poor, the sick, the immoral, These were people on the fringes and they're desperate to get to Jesus. They needed the king and the kingdom. And he didn't turn them away. He didn't say clean yourself up first, but he met them where they were and he received them. And so notice it's it's like wildfire, the way that it's spreading. I mean, they come from every region of Israel and even beyond the borders of Israel. They're flocking to Jesus in this moment. When the kingdom of heaven is proclaimed and lived out and walked in, people meet Jesus. They just meet Jesus. Wherever you find the kingdom on earth, you will find people coming to the king. It is just what happens. It's just what happens as we proclaim the word, as we walk in the power of the spirit and live lives shaped by the ethos of the kingdom, crowds will flock to Jesus. They will run to Jesus. And you know what they're not going to run to is when we care more about our image and reputation. It was when we care about keeping this nice little churchy bubble safe. They don't flock to that but when the church is zealously devoted to the king, when the power of God himself is among us, when we live lives that are shaped by the kingdom, it is powerful and people want to know the king. You can't have a kingdom without a king, right? It just doesn't work. You, you, you can't have this kingdom, like a king is is in the very essence of a kingdom. He's the defining marker of a kingdom. So Jesus is the point, guys. Jesus is the point. We must lead people not to this idea, but to Jesus, to Jesus. We point people to him because it's not just about creating this better society, but it's about seeing heaven and earth united again where everything once again comes under the rule of King Jesus. And in Jesus, when we look to Jesus, in Jesus, heaven and earth meet. Heaven and earth meet in Jesus. He is God in the flesh. He's the king of heaven, and he's this lowly man. He's the creator of everything, and yet he understands our brokenness and our weakness and our sin. In Jesus, heaven and earth meet. So, to wrap this up, there's just a few things I want to I see us practically step into. First, grow in your love for the Word, grow in your love for the Word, the Bible. A recent Barna study said that about only a third of Americans open their Bibles at least once a week, not counting a church service. And it's just, you know, sad, not because we want to be these big headed Christians who just, you know, can win Awana Bible verse things. I don't know. I wasn't a part of Awana, so I don't know. But Uh, It's not about just being these big-headed Christians who know a lot of stuff. But through the Bible, we hear from the king. We hear from the king. We hear his word to us. We hear what he wants us to do. We connect to the king. We're shaped by the king. And here's just the deal is that our aversion to the Bible, it's connected to our aversion to the king. I think in every one of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, you, you want Jesus to be your king. You're not too excited about all the things the king wants you to do. And we want to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. So start somewhere, just start reading. There's a thousand different things out there. Just start reading and say, Jesus, speak to me. You're my king. Speak to me. I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you. Secondly. Let's seek the Spirit's power in healing and deliverance. I absolutely love what the Lord is doing in our church. I mean, we're seeing him speak and move in powerful and profound ways over the last few months. And I want to see more. I want to see us stepping into it even more. When someone is sick, whether it is a headache or whether it is cancer, we should drop what we're doing right then and pray for healing. When someone is deep in sin or they're experiencing this weird spiritual oppression, we should drop what we're doing and ask the spirit to right what is wrong. And if you're in that place, if you are sick, if you are overwhelmed by your brokenness and sin, if you are addicted, then come and receive. The Spirit wants to heal you, and heaven wants to break through into your life. And so in a little bit, we're going to pray. Let's pray for you today. He's still in the business of healing. Thirdly, Live as if what you do actually matters because it does. Because it does. There are a number of Christians who live as if the world is just going to burn anyway. So who cares? Right? Like, who cares? I got my ticket. I'm good. But God desires for the kingdom to invade and come into this earth. He desires that heaven and earth would be united and he is using us towards that goal. And so let's work to make our city and world a place of justice and peace. Let's live lives that are shaped by the kingdom because it actually matters. Our bodies, our lives, our words actually matter to this king. Actually matter. Fourth, let's be driven by compassion. Jesus himself was driven by compassion for people who were lost and hurting in this world. And maybe you have lost the capacity for compassion. And just ask for the spirit to work and move. Who are you feeling burdened for? Who have you lost compassion for? Because that compassion is what drives us to see the kingdom come. And then finally, if you just stand with me for this last point, as we wrap this up. So finally, come and meet the king. Come and meet the king. You may not know the king, but the king knows you. And he is ready and willing to receive you into his kingdom. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how bad you've messed up. Jesus is willing to receive you and heal you and welcome you into his kingdom. And the way Jesus described it once was like this. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like this big banquet, right? And Jesus invited all the people who should be there. And they said, well, you know, I actually have a wife. I need to get back to, got some work I got to do. They all give these excuses, and this man says to his servant, he says, just go out and grab the poor and the lame and the homeless and bring them in because they're going to eat this feast. And the servant goes and gathers all these people. And he says, there's more room. He's like, just go grab anyone. Just go grab anyone and bring them in. Here's the deal is Jesus is inviting us and anyone who's willing to come feast at the table and to be changed forever.